This is episode 51 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Six Ideas for Building a Bug-Out Shelter in the Woods, When a Prepper Relocates, Finding and Moving to the Perfect Survival Retreat, and A Gentle Reminder to Be Prepared to Survive Disasters. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before we get started, I want to let you know that I did um, had a little bit of downtime this weekend and um, updated the theme to Totally Homestead, which allows, or I, well, I think it allows it to load a little bit faster. Uh, I did a, a test on it and uh, it seems to be loading a little bit faster uh, sometimes it seems to get hung up because it is bringing in a lot of RSS feeds. But if you're not familiar with Totally Homestead, it is a website that uh, brings in tons of feeds from uh, homestead ho- homesteading sites. And so you can go and you get one shot, all these homesteading sites, and you get the, their most recent uh, content. And so you get it all on one page. And so that's at totallyhomestead.com. So just recently updated it, and hopefully it will work faster for you. I've learned that if one of the feeds is kind of messed up, it causes the whole site to be or to run slower. So I'm trying to go over there on a regular basis to make sure that all the feeds are working correctly. But a lot of good stuff over there. Go check it out. I want to link to that in the show notes. Also, I added, um, I know firearms is a big deal. I mean, recently when I post anything about firearms, even on the podcast, the podcast and then also on Prepper website, any articles out there, firearms is just one of the ones. It used to be bug out bags, right? Bug out bags was the, the popular go-to uh, article, and now firearms are. So uh, because of that, I decided to go ahead and put another page You know, on the top right-hand corner of PrepperWebsite.com. I have s- several pages that are focused on specific content, uh, DIY, frugal living, uh, alternative news. And uh, so just recently I did, uh, or Conspiracy Galore, and then just recently or this weekend I added Shooter's Gallery. And I've added a lot of websites and their feeds um, that do reviews, that do uh, articles on firearms, and there's um, websites that uh, put out firearm news and military news and all kinds of stuff. So a lot of good stuff over there. Um, getting a lot of traffic just from having it up for one day. So I'm going to link to that too. That's the Shooters Gallery over at PrepperWebsite.com. It's a lot of good information. I'm also, I also worked on a special project. Uh, I'm not ready to release it. I'm going, to be, I'm only going to be able to work on this a little bit at a time until I'm ready to release it. But I did give a sneak peek to the subscribers of uh, A More Self-Reliant Life. So if you're interested in joining the email group, Go ahead and go over to the prepperwebsitepodcast.com and in the top menu bar, you can join the, the e-group, or I'm sorry, the, I'm sorry, the, uh, the email list. And when you do that, it registers you for the free e-course, A More Self-Reliant Life. And so you'll get five emails over the course of uh, five weeks and um, that touch on different topics of self-reliance and to help you to be more self-reliant. And then like always, we also have the Facebook group. I'd love to invite you to come be a part of that. You can click on that on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. You can click on free Facebook group and uh, request to join. And then uh, we'll, we'll just check you out and then go ahead and, and approve you to join. And then again, I always appreciate everyone who shares out the, the, the 
episodes and the Prepper Website podcast. Uh, I just really appreciate that. It's getting out there. A lot of shouts out. So I I do thank you for that. So let's go ahead and get started. We have some good articles this week or this uh, this episode. We're going to start out with the survivalistblog.net. MD Creekmore's website over there. He's got some uh, good stuff. And six ideas for building a bug out shelter. So here's some just ideas. Uh, think about if you, as you're listening to this, to uh, to the descriptions of the different shelters, maybe think about, hey, yeah, I, I know how to do that or I know the concept behind that. Or if not, maybe, you know, it might be something that I want to learn how to do. And uh, I do want to talk about one here uh, when we get to it. But let's go ahead and start on this one. Veteran survivalists innately understand the rule of three. The rule of three is as follows. Humans will die after three minutes with no air, three days without water, or three weeks of going without food. At least those are the most commonly known rules. One that is equally essential and that gets glossed over is the fact that people can die in three hours without shelter that thoroughly protects them of fatalities in harsh conditions. You may not think the weather in your area is harsh enough to kill you, but you might be surprised. During a 1964 race in England, three competitors were cut down by the cold even though it never dropped to freezing temperatures. Even without the threat of imminent death, you can still face abundant health risk if you spend an extended period of time exposed to the elements. You name it. Heat, UV rays, cold, rain, snow... All these and more can quickly shorten your lifespan if you are continually exposed to them without a proper shelter to safeguard yourself. In this world full of uncertainty, there's always value in being prepared. Knowing what to do in a survival situation could literally determine life or death. If you know how to create survival shelters in the wild, you could survive a situation you would have died in otherwise. That's why we are sharing our top six ideas to creating survival shelters in the wild. The first one is a lean-to. Lean-to is probably the most well-known option for creating a survival shelter. You need to find two trees that are close together and thick, a thick stick that can be wedged between the trees. If you can't find trees and sticks of the right size, you can hammer two sticks into the ground and secure a third between them. If possible, you should then tie the main poles to the supports to prevent a collapse. From there, you simply lean a large number of sticks against the pole to create something that looks half of a roof, look like half of a roof. Sticks are essential, but they aren't enough. You'll need to fill in the open spaces between the sticks with moss, leaves, twigs, and other flora to act as a sort of insulation. Overall, since the lean-to is open on one side, the heat that can be kept in is minimal. The lean-to is mainly for achieving a basic level of protection. And there is a link to a video on YouTube, and I believe it's Survival Lily. Uh, you can go and, and check out her lean to there. The second one, I've never heard this word, and I even tried to look it up, and uh, I couldn't find it in a bunch of di- dictionaries. Um, but it's uh, Quinzihi, I think. Maybe that's the way you pronounce it. Maybe someone can help me out there a little bit later on. Uh, so Quinzihi. Getting trapped on a mountain with nothing but snow is su- in sight is in many ways a worst-case scenario, but that doesn't mean it's hopeless. Survival structures can be constructed using snow. You've probably heard of igloos, and the idea here is similar. It's just that in our idea, you don't need to have the expertise used by northern natives to create homes from packed snow. You can create what is known as a quinzihi much faster. 
you begin by piling up your supplies over an area that is larger than your body. You then pile snow up around your supplies and pack it down until it's about 30 inches thick all the way around. Try to keep the snow packed smoothly and evenly to prevent collapse. You then dig your way through the side and to your supplies, remove said supplies carefully, and take shelter in the cave you've created. Just make sure to poke a small hole in the top for air to come in or else you might be trading exposure for suffocation. Number three, basic TP. For this famous shelter, you need to start by either finding a thin but sturdy tree or a long pole that you can secure down in the ground. From there, you will want to find as many long straight branches as you can and circle the pole with them, leaning them up against it until you have a completed, completely closed cone of empty space in the middle. You should then somehow secure the piece of wood together, tying them at the top with rope or fashioning a sort of cord from materials to you find in the woods. Finally, you need to add the insulation, packing on anything you can to contain the heat without leading a collapse. I know the author is writing uh, about shelters, like if you were caught out there in the wilderness all by yourself without any kind of supplies or anything, but I like the idea of the teepee. I don't know if it's the romantic side of me, you know, being out in the woods thinking about that, uh, not romantic as in a man and a w wife, uh, but a romantic as, you know, being out there and just the, the idea of, um, you know, being out in the woods and, and something that somebody, you know, brings in their, you know, puts into their mind. But over the years, I've, I've seen some really great videos on making a basic teepee. Uh, this person right here seems to, you know, talk about putting the, the wood together and then tying them at the top. Um, I mean, you, what you want to do there instead is you want to do a lashing, a three, a tripod lashing, and that would make it so much easier. So uh, Bushcraft uh, Baron, Barton Baron, I think, uh, has recently did one. But uh, I like uh, Lonnie from our Northern, uh, North, North Bushcraft and Survival. I love his, his videos. I think he does a, a real good job of explaining it and putting it all together. So he, he does have one. Um, making a teepee from a tent or from a tarp. Uh, and so uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and link to that. But there's also there was also a video that I watched a while back where uh, it was um, a guy, I think in his son, they put together a teepee using like a blue tarp. It was a big one, and they put together a big, big teepee. And he was very methodical about the way he did it. I mean, there was like measuring sides and corners and stuff, and it really worked out really well. Uh, I was very surprised by it. And so I tried to find it. I could not find it to save my life. I think I'll, I'll look a little bit more to, to see if I can find it. Uh, but for some reason, uh, I didn't tag it correctly on Prepper website, and so I, I couldn't find it there. But I will continue to look for it, and if I do find it, I will put it in the show notes so you can do it. But I will uh, link to Lonnie's uh, North Bushcraft and Survival uh, video where he uh, he's making one from a tarp. So uh, so you can kind of see that one there. But um, good stuff there. And then I, I talked about uh, the Bushcraft Bartons. Uh, I, I man, I'm sorry. I don't. I can't remember if it's Bartons or Barons. Uh, I will try to find that one as well um, because they built a pretty cool, um, like fireplace uh, on their on uh, added to the TP and they used that overnight. So I'll try to find that one as well. 
Okay, so let's uh, continue on with this article going on. A debris hut. The debris hut requires two sticks that stretch a bit beyond the length of your shoulders and one long stick that is larger than your height. You begin by sticking the two short sticks into the ground and leaning against each other so that they form a triangle. You then place one end of the long stick on top of the triangle sticks and the other on the ground around six feet away. You then find as many sticks as you can and lean them up against the one long stick to form a sort of wooden pyramid that leaves just enough room for your bodies in the space left open. Small debris huts may feel claustrophobic, but they can actually be a good thing. A small shelter may feel cramped at first, but it actually seals in your body heat more effectively. And on the topic of body heat, don't forget to insulate it. Debris in the debris hut refers to the sticks used for the skeleton of the structure and the leaves and grass used for insulation. When you do a debris hut, just remember you want you're using a lot, a lot of leaves. And so something that you have uh, that can help to carry leaves or hopefully you're building in a place where there's just a lot of leaves and a lot of debris that you can use. Number five is a tarp tent. One of the most helpful things you can have in a survival situation is a tarp. It makes shelter construction so much more simple. All you need to do is find a way to prop it over yourself and secure it down so that it will cover you safely through the night. The second most helpful thing to carry is probably some sort of rope. If you can tie a rope between two trees and toss your tarp over the rope, you'll have a tent ready. If you don't have a rope, then you can wedge a sturdy stick between two trees to create the necessary support. You can actually make just about any of the structures we've listed using a tarp. You simply have to put the tarp on top of the basic support instead of leaves, grass, and other natural types of insulation. Just make sure to secure the tarp with heavy rocks or logs to keep it from being blown away by winds. Find a natural shelter. The final of our top six ideas to creating bug-out survival shelters in the wild offers something to think about in all the previous five scenarios. When creating survival shelters, you don't have to do everything yourself, and in most cases, the less you can get away with doing, the better off you will be. Time and energy are everything when it comes to survival. You don't want to waste time getting fancy with your construction ideas in a survival situation. That's why it helps to start out with an existing foundation you can build. If you can find a cave, cliff wall, large leaning tree, or some other sort of natural wall or enclosure, then half of the job will be done for you. The average entirely self-built structure might last a night, but if you could be stranded for a longer period of time, then finding something solid and natural to build around will save you time and effort in the long run. Though at that point, you also need to consider things like access to fresh water and sources of nutrition when choosing where to set up your survival base camp. For your convenience, we put together a list of emergency essentials for you to check off. Survival is about planning ahead so life doesn't catch you off guard. So there's that uh, list of emergency uh, essentials there that you can go check out and other you know, other links, like I said, the lean to uh, that you'll want to go uh, watch. If you haven't ever seen any of Survival Lily's videos, um, you know she does a good job of putting stuff together. Uh, if you've been to Prepper website, you've seen her videos because I've linked to them before in the past. All right, moving along, we're going to Backdoor Survival. And uh, Gay has recently moved from her place in the San Juan Islands uh, and she wrote a little bit about it because you might find yourself in the same situation where you have all this, you know, the, the food, the food storage, your supplies, and then you're moving and you got to, you got to think about all the things that you're taking with you. Is it worth it to take that food with you? 
or your supplies with you or uh, when you think about all the moving costs involved. So she has a little bit of advice for you if that's something that might be happening to you. It is hard to believe that a little over a year ago I decided to pull up stakes and search for the perfect survival retreat. More than a retreat, I wanted to find a forever home. It has been quite the journey and now that I am within days of fully moving into my new home, it is time to come clean on the how-tos of moving prepper style. Before starting, let me say, just say this. Planning and executing a move is going to take over every free moment of up to a year. There are more moving pieces than you can imagine, especially if moving more than 300 miles from your home base. At times, you will want to give up. It is a lot of work and it can be lonely. Step 1. Define the criteria of your new home. Something I did up front was to define a punch list of items that were a priority at my new location. Here is a summary of the list I shared last year. I called it my survival retreat bucket list. A minimum of one-third acre and preferably more. Sunny space for a garden. Existing fruit trees a bonus. Trees in the general vicinity to provide wood and biomass for heating and cooking. Local source of water such as streams, ponds, or lakes. Bonus if a well can be dug. Abundant wildlife for hunting as a food source. Favorable tax environment. Sufficient storage space for a two-year food supply. Gun-friendly. Zoning that allows for water catchment systems and auxiliary fuel propane tanks. History that shows area is re relatively free from wildfires and floods. A moderate climate, 20 de degrees Fahrenheit low to 90 degrees Fahrenheit high. Proximity to healthcare within a 20-mile radius. Very good to excellent cell, very good to excellent cell phone service. Availability of high-speed internet for as long as it lasts. And peace, quiet, and no tourist activity. Mind you, this list was generated before I knew exactly where I was going to relocate. At the time, I had a good idea of the state where I was headed, but nothing was cast in stone. Because I didn't want to get my hopes up for a quick sell, I did not research precise geographical locations until my existing home sold. I did that because there were some unique characteristics to my San Juan Island home that limited its appeal to a specialized buyer. It could take a year or possibly longer to sell. We were lucky to have a seasoned real estate agent who specialized in our type of property. He set realistic price-to-sell expectations and coached us on what we needed to do to attract a buyer. As it happened, our home sold quickly, but closing took forever. We did not start looking for our survival retreat until the money was in the bank. You may approach things differently, but at this stage of my life, I did not want to set myself up for disappointment. That becomes my first, my first tip. Do not set yourself up for disappointment by setting unrealistic expectations. Much like prepping itself, when it comes to moving, prepare for the worst but hope for the best. Be mindful of the cost of moving, especially your food storage. One of the more shocking parts of moving is the cost. When planning a move, be realistic about what it is going to cost to move both your household items and prepping supplies. This includes food storage, which can be heavy. In our case, the cost came to about $1 a pound. Half of that was getting our stuff back to the mainland. Think about that. It makes sense to pay to have furniture moved, but those cases of canned foods? Not a chance. We gave away hundreds of pounds of food because it was too bulky or heavy to transport. Some of it no one wanted because the canned items were out of date. That was a shame because as we all know, the expiration on canned goods is mostly a myth. 
We did rent a U-Haul to transport our freeze-dried food and some of our food buckets. I admit that the movers also transported food buckets full of cheap beans and cheap rice, but after accounting for the convenience of having it packaged and ready to go at my new location, it was worth it. A question I am frequently asked is whether I paid to have my furniture moved. The answer is yes, and here's why. Although the buyers of our home were interested in our furniture, to start all over would have been disruptive and expensive. While not new, our furniture was of good quality and comfortable. I ran the numbers and by my own estimate, it would have cost over 40000 to replace my furniture, and most likely a lot more than that. Thank you very much, but I will keep my used furniture. Be prepared to compromise. Something I learned a long time ago is that life is a compromise, and so it was with moving. Although I had 40 years of memories invested in my stuff, much of it had not been touched in years. Perfectly good items, no matter how precious, were donated to the local thrift store. Chances are we could have raised a nice pile of cash by holding a garage or estate type sale rather than giving things away. This is where compromise stepped in. In order to maintain my privacy, I gave things away instead. The biggest compromise, however, had to do with seeking a new place to call home. As much as I wanted to find the perfect prepper palace, I knew that my age and budget would restrict where I ultimately landed. Transcending our dream into reality meant we had to give up on our hope of having a flock of chickens and enough raised beds to grow at least half of our own food. It simply was not going to happen, so I let it go. I reminded myself that I was going to homestead in place on a property I would want to maintain for the next 20 years and until I was well into my senior years. That meant a two-story farmhouse was out, as was grass and brush that needed to be mowed weekly. I chose instead to compromise with a beautiful and serene environment and a home I could fill with creature comforts with plenty of room to cook, can, and pursue crafts and other amusements. Where am I going to put all that stuff? Something every prepper needs is space for all of their stuff. Most of us have backup cooking facilities, backup water and water filtering devices, backup fuel, backup food, and backup everything else. This all takes space not only for storage but for organized storage. Oh my. While house house hunting, I found a number of delightful properties that lacked storage. There was no garage, no pantry, no spare closets. Where would the food storage go? What about the manually operated tools? And what about the ammo and other items of defense that need to be hidden away, free from prying eyes? These are factors that should be considered before you make an offer and not after. Don't let your judgment be clouded by clever staging. Look for closets, attics, crawl spaces, and rooms that can be converted to meet your storage needs. This may seem obvious, but believe me, it is easy to fall in love with a property only to find those things lacking when you look a bit closer. Remember, sellers are going to try to tempt you with glitz and glamour. Look beyond it. Finding the right community or not. How close do you want to be to your neighbor? Do you want paved roads to your retreat or are dirt roads okay? What about the driveway? Will a steep hill pose a problem for you or for emergency responders? Heaven forbid. I believe the most important assessment to make when it comes to a community is to determine whether you wish to keep your prepping lifestyle private or whether you wish to join others in a like-minded community. Regardless of your choice, I suggest attending some community or church events to get a feel for the social milieu. Visit the local hardware store and look around. Chat up the clerks. You will be surprised at how much information you can glean by simply observing and listening. In our case, we visited one particular local hangout two times and were so put off we crossed that particular community off the list. You are a prepper. You have good instincts. Use them. How did I do? For the curious, we purchased a home in the Magalon Rim area of Arizona. 
The elevation is 5,000 feet and the climate is moderate. We spent a lot more money than we planned, but less than we realized from our Washington State home, so we were happy. I call our new home the cabin, and it is as close to perfect as I can get. With just a few exceptions, all of my requirements were met. Let me run quickly, run, let me run quickly through the list for you. Minimum of one-third acre and prefer, preferably more. We have one acre surrounded by 18 other one-acre parcels. It is like an oasis. The sunny space for a garden, existing fruit trees, a bonus. The property is lightly wooded and backs to undeveloped forest. We have had clearings made to expose more sun. Alas, there are no fruit trees and given that the elk make frequent runs through the property, we will like, likely need to compromise in this area. Trees in the general vicinity to provide wood and biomass for heating and cooking. Definitely. Local source of water such as streams, ponds, or lakes. Bonus if a well can be dug. There are plenty of water sources in the area, but none are within walking distance. Although that is a concern, we are planning to store extra water in multiple 160-gallon tanks, plus a series of rain barrels. Abundant wildlife for hunting as a food source. Elk and rabbits roam the property, and fishing is close by. There's a nice uh, picture of a, uh, she's, she's calling it Mr. Elk, uh, who comes by the property. So, uh, man, that's a nice elk there. A favorable tax environment. Good enough. Local government seems non-invasive and the taxes seem fair. Sufficient storage space for a two-year food supply. Yes, yes, and yes. Gun-friendly. This is Arizona. The previous owners had a huge gun safe and our neighbors owned firearms. That is all I will say about that. Zoning that allows for water catchment systems and auxiliary fuel propane tanks. There are restrictions that we will need to take into consideration relative to above-ground water catchment systems and propane tanks. I am satisfied that we will find a suitable alternative. History that shows area is relatively free from wildfires and floods. There is a fire risk. This is the National Forest after all. Still, we are in a fire-wise community and have had our proper property cleared of low-growing brush that would potentially put our harm, home at risk. Moderate climate, 20 degrees Fahrenheit low to 90 degrees Fahrenheit high. Check. Although summers can reach the high 90s. Proximity to healthcare within a 20-mile radius. Although we are in the middle of the woods, there is a hospital less than 10 miles away. Very good to excellent cell phone service. Yes. Availability of high-speed internet for as long as it lasts. Yes. Peace, quiet, and no tourist activity. Being on our own acre surrounded by forests in a community with no major industry translates into serenity. The only noise we hear comes from the birds and the animals. That said, it is a short drive into town for us as much activity as I can handle given my interest and needs. All in all, I am thrilled with my survival retreat. The home itself needed a lot of cosmetic work inside and the outside needed to be tidied, but the bones are good and the property is exceptional. The biggest challenge will be transporting water from off-site if our tap water ever stops running. Purifying compromised water I can deal with in five or six different ways, so that is not a concern. Moving can be lonely, so be prepared to get social. Moving away from friends and family is pretty scary when it comes to setting in a strange location where you know no one. For many, that will be fine, and I applaud you for your ability to adapt to total isolation. I am not that person. Although I am not particularly social, I do occasionally enjoy face-to-face -face contact with the outside world. If this describes you, then know that you will need to put yourself out there. Walk your neighborhood and meet the neighbors. Chat with the lady behind the counter at the post office. Shop the local merchants and tell them you are new to the area. In a very short period of time, Shelley and I have found 
a handful of new acquaintances to share an evening barbecue and to shoot the breeze about this and that. The goal is to establish a base of trust and to identify those that will be there to watch our back as we watch theirs. The final word. When we crossed the Columbia River last October, I announced that Elvis has left the building. It was time for a new life and a new adventure. Now that I am with, within days of moving to my survival retreat, a.k.a. the cabin, I have a renewed outlook when it comes to my chances to survive should the worst happen. Yes, I gave up an abundant source of water, but on the other hand, I gained a whole lot more. Mostly, I hope to have gained the ability to grow food, fish, and hunt, and enjoy the serenity that comes from living in the woods. As you seek refuge in our own as you seek refuge in our own survival retreat, whether at your existing location or elsewhere, I hope you are as blessed as I have become. All right, so good article there. I love the um, I love the list that Gay made. Um, it was a year out, but I like that list where she made in. You know, this is kind of like what we're. This is what we want. This would be the perfect. You know, as she put it, the the perfect prepper palace, right? Um, and so she had a, a list of where she was coming from to know what she she wanted, and, and that's a good idea to sit down with, you know, your spouse or your family and to write at, write down what you're looking for, what you want. So instead of just going and looking at property and going and looking at whatever is out there, so when you go into it, you can, you know, you have these whether it's mental or whether you do take a list and you check things off. Uh, you know, you you know what you want. You know where you're going from. You, you know where where you're coming from and where you're going. There's a you know, and also you can use Gay's list. There's other people that have created lists. I know James Wesley Rawls has uh, you know lists out there that you can uh, go find on his website. Um, other people have talked. To, I know Jack Spierko talked about it greatly when he was moving from um, I believe Arkansas to Texas. He talked about things that they were they were wanting uh, to to have in you know their homestead, and so there is some compromise. I mean, every single every single person I think would would tell you there is some compromise there because you're never going to find the perfect place, right? Uh, unless you have unlimited money, um, you're never going to find the perfect place. But good article there, something to think about. You might be in a situation where you're getting ready to move, or you're having to move, or you're having to downsize, or whatever it might be, and you can still kind of go through this same. Uh, process as well. You might not be moving to a retreat. You might be moving to another, you know, to another part of town or to another city, state, or whatever. But you can still kind of go through some of these things and and uh, you know put them down. And uh, you know it's okay if you get somewhere and you rent for a couple of months or you rent for a year uh, until you find the, the the perfect place. You know. All right. So uh, that's backdoor survival. And like always, you want to go check out. Uh, these articles because there's you know links and stuff that you uh, that you can click on. Our last one comes to us from Food Storage Moms, and uh, Linda over there has an article. It's called "A Gentle Reminder to Be Prepared to Survive Disasters." So let's go ahead and read this one. This is my gentle reminder to be prepared to survive disasters. Now this could be two feet of snow in your yard that doesn't melt for two months, like a reader Kathy told me about where she lives. She said they hadn't had snow like that in 20 years. What's really scary is the thought of no garbage pickup or mail delivery for those two months. Luckily, Kathy was prepared with food and water, except for the cat she had who wouldn't drink the powdered milk. I love that comment. It's a good reminder to store extra pet food for our dogs and cats, etc. 
I'm not sure what the farmers would do for outside animals. I now have a dog again, a male black and white Shih Tzu, so I grabbed one extra bag of food when I went to the store the other day. Remember, we also need to store water for our pets. Just a quick tip to think about. Now, two months with that much snow means the roads were probably not drivable or they would have had garbage pickup and mail or they would have had garbage pickup and mail delivery. Is that a major disaster? Well, if you don't have direct deposit for your monthly paychecks, retirement checks, or whatever, you may not be able to pay your bills. If you pay your bills online, if available, it wouldn't be as major a disaster. Of course, if there is no mail delivery, you may want to set up paperless statements. I prefer paperless statements on everything because they are never in the mailbox. If the power is down, that's okay. I have direct deposit and my payments are ACH or automatic clearinghouse, which means my bills will automatically be paid whether or not I have the internet. Unless we have a grid down, we could get things done. With a grid down, then payments will not exist. Paychecks will not exist at least until power is back up and running. Banks will be closed and your money unavailable. If you haven't read the book called Lights Out by Ted Koppel, you need to ASAP. Lights Out, a cyber attack, a nation unprepared, surviving the aftermath. If you haven't purchased a paperback copy of my book, you may want to in order to be prepared for the unexpected. Prepare your family for survival, how to be ready for any emergency or disaster situation. If you already have it, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. A gentle reminder. Store food, even if it's one can a week. Just make sure it's something you will enjoy eating. Store water. Please store at least one gallon per person per day. I prefer four gallons per person per day, but that's how I roll. Don't forget to store water for your pets as well. Store your basic first aid supplies at the very minimum. If the stores are closed, you may not have fever-reducing medicines at your home if you use it. Yes, I love essential oils, but I need aspirin for my arthritis. It's the only thing that works for me. Another gentle reminder to check your cabinets for your favorite ones. Store the product my doctor suggests Silver Solution if it's right for you. I use it whenever I am exposed to sick people. I still wish churches had those hand sanitizers uh, deals hooked up to the walls. Oh my, the handshaking and germs, just thinking out loud. Sorry, I used hand wipes. I use hand wipes on the grocery carts. I'm not proud. If the stores don't supply them, I bring my own. Wow, I'm starting to sound like a germophobic. Okay, I own it. I recommend this one. 30 ppm, triple strength pH balance, collodial solution, daily collodial silver supplement for immune health, 16 ounce bottle of silver water. This silver will, will not turn you blue or gray. I use it all the time and have for years. Hey, just a, a little aside on that one. Uh, when, when it's cold and flu season and people are around me that are sick, I don't shake hands, even at church. I do the fist bump thing. I, I've been doing that. I did that when I was on the campus and students were sick and, and it was bad. Parents, parents were terrible, man. They would give their kids, because they wanted to go to work and they couldn't stay home, they would give their kid Tylenol. They would, they would run in a fever, give their kid Tylenol, send them to school. In one or two hours, they were in the nurse with you know this crazy fever, exposing everyone. And so you just learn pretty quickly to uh, not shake hands and be careful what you're touching. I mean, I, I would carry like Kleenexes and open doors and stuff like that if I had to. Uh, but fist bump. Uh, if you can at church or wherever you are where you have to shake hands that's a it's a I think people appreciate that they don't always think about that but they you know, when when you offer that fist bump they realize like hey yeah okay you're you're not wanting to get any germs I kind of understand that 
All right, continuing on. These may be considered at first a first aid kit item, but I highly recommend the co- this cough drop, the original all-natural silver lozenge, soothing honey with lemon, the perfect cough drop for cough. Keep your gas tank at least three-fourths full because, as you may know, the tanks, tank pumps don't work without electricity. Now, if you live out in the country where an older gas station still exists and works with a hand crank, you are lucky. I have never, ever seen a, a hand crank on a gas station uh, pump. Never. So uh, that's, that would be kind of cool. Uh, please check on your neighbors if you have a power outage. If you have older people living near you, see if they need help. I'm sure they would love a hug or two, I promise. Before you have a disaster, whether small or big, deliver a case or two of water to an elderly couple on your street. Trust me, if they were your parents, you would love to have someone deliver some water in case of an emergency. Also, consider giving water bricks for Christmas or birthdays to your family members. You can sleep at night knowing your loved ones have water when needed. Please help the elderly fill some containers. They may need that kind of help too. Flashlights are critical, so be sure to know where they are and have some extra batteries available. I gave a solar one to one of my granddaughters who went to college. She is serving a mission right now for her church. Proud grandma here. She took it with her. I love it. Thanks again for being prepared for the unexpected and heeding my gentle reminder tips. I thank you and your neighbors. Thank you. Thank you. May God bless our world. So uh, I think that's a great idea to um, you have a little bit of extra food storage or a little bit of extra water storage. And, and if you're in a situation, I can't believe I can, or I, I can believe it. I can't imagine being stuck for two months uh, with snow that hadn't melted or, you know, just that man, that would be crazy. And, and you're right. The or uh, Linda's right. The just the, the no the no garbage piling up. I guess you can put it outside and and it would freeze. But man, that would that would suck big time, man. Uh, I guess those are the times where you wish you had a burn barrel and you can burn some of the trash if uh, if uh, you were in a situation where you could do that. But I love her her uh, you know her advice about looking out for the elderly. You know, um, if you can imagine, you know, you're you're out there and your parents are living in this neighborhood where there's where this person is and you can't get to them. Uh, and you know that they're there and they're elderly and they can't, you know, manage very well. But then someone is able to come alongside them and help them. I mean, how great would that be? So just good gentle reminders. You know, sometimes those of us who've been prepping for a while, uh, it gets to a point where like, you know, we, we're like, okay, yeah, I have that. I don't know if this ever happened to you, right? Where you're like, yeah, I have that. And you go looking for it. It's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know where it is. Or I don't know. You know, maybe it got used up or someone used it. Uh, maybe you thought you had the inventory, uh, but you but you don't. You didn't keep very good records. I mean, that definitely happened. So good reminders to, to, you know, be prepared, stay prepared out there. All right, guys, that's it for uh, episode 51, starting a new week. And so appreciate it that you are with me starting out this Monday. Hey, uh, if you are looking for more preparedness information, don't forget to come to prepperwebsite.com where we're posting a bunch of a bunch of good stuff over there on a daily basis, all right? So choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until next time, stay prepped and aware. Peace.